What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another live stream on Jackman Radio. I am your host, Mike Jackman. Great to see everybody here today. Hope everyone's enjoying a glorious August 11th, 2022 summer day. Uh, I know here in New Hampshire, finally the uh, heat wave broke after a really intense uh, two weeks. And, uh, you know, for us big guys, it's uh, it's definitely... Um, you know, you definitely sweat. You, you do sweat a lot, unlike, you know, Prince Andrew. You do sweat. So I uh, wanted to kick things off with a little tribute to Olivia Newton-John, absolute Aussie, you know, British queen, uh, pop singer, uh, superstar extraordinaire, who sadly passed away a couple days ago from cancer. Uh, I understand she was battling, I think, breast cancer, you know, on and off for probably the better part of 15 or 20 years. So she had a courageous battle with cancer and sadly passed away. I think she was 73 or 74. So, you know, I mean, in my opinion, that's, that's too, you know, too damn young for someone who's otherwise healthy, but she had an amazing career. And, um, you know, certainly Greece was, uh, the, you know, the musical and the film that she's really well known for. And it reminded me of, a. Uh, student film that I was in back in college that my friend Justin made called The Connoisseur. And we had a scene that we shot in a, uh, a bar in Massachusetts. Uh, we got the run of the bar and it had a stage. And uh, one of the songs that we used in the film was from the Grease soundtrack. Um, I think there was actually a couple. So it was like really outrageous. Like you had this bar full of people and, um, you know, the lead character was on a blind date with uh, someone named Figarella. And Figarella was the feature performer at the Tackle Box Lounge. And you can kind of surmise where it went from there. Um, Figarella ended up being a, uh, you know, a drag queen and hilarity ensued. But really funny movie, uh, The Connoisseur. We shot that and released that back in like 2006 or seven. So definitely not a film you could probably make nowadays, but a great student film. And uh, another classic from Olivia Newton-John was, um, you know, Xanadu. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but... You know, it was panned as not really a great film, but um, I think time has been very kind to it since it came out in 1980, and uh, the soundtrack's just phenomenal. I mean, you got banger after banger on there. You got Olivia Newton-John, you know, singing the song Magic, which was a huge hit for her, and of course the title track, Xanadu, her and Electric Light Orchestra teaming up for that track, and other parts of the soundtrack, and uh, yeah, that was a... That was a huge hit, and the soundtrack was, uh, you know, very popular and did well. And um, I, I just remember growing up listening to uh, to that song. Uh, my dad actually turned me on to it when I was a kid, so it always kind of stuck with me. So, Olivia Newton-John, we salute you. And um, I remember a few years back, her boyfriend at the time disappeared. She was dating like a – he was like a, a gripper or – some kind of like film crew type dude. And uh, he was on a boat and the boat disappeared. And uh, there were allegations that he faked his death at sea and was living on a boat somewhere, you know, down in Mexico. And they ultimately were unsubstantiated. And I think he was declared dead or legally missing after a certain point. But I always remember that being an interesting story that she had a long time, you know, on, on again, off again, boyfriend that like disappeared and there was investigations into whether or not he owed people a lot of money that he didn't want to pay back and, you know, something like that. So I always thought that was interesting. 
IB Denmark, great to see you. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you're staying cool wherever you are on beautiful God's green earth. Go, go, Jackman Radio. Thank you. General Meow Meow, great to see you. Xanadu was lit. It really was. I mean, you had a 70-year-old Gene Kelly on roller skates. You had the guy from the Warriors, uh, you know, kind of done up. I mean, he went from the Warriors to, to kind of looking – they put him in a lot of makeup for Zan I mean, they put everybody in a lot of makeup, especially, you know, Olivia Newton John. But I mean, the, even the male characters in Xanadu were they were they were kind of shimmering, you know. They had some they had some uh some sparkle. But uh that last scene where they're all dancing and um you know going around in that old uh it was actually a famous club out in California um that burned down a few years after they filmed that movie. They uh so they filmed exteriors for Xanadu at that place, like the outside of the actual like roller rink. And then, you know, for certain music videos and other films, they use the interior. And actually, I don't know if it's Tomorrowland or where it is at Disney, but um, either Disney World or Disneyland, whichever, um, actually was inspired by the architecture of that building that you see in Xanadu. It was a very famous building that, that ultimately burned down. And uh, so, I mean, it's iconic. I mean, you can't beat it. It was Gene Kelly's last film. Um, you know, I think it inspired a lot of other, maybe more lower budget roller rink type movies, which I think it originally was supposed to be that. But then they, you know, the people came in and wrote it and expanded on it and made it something else. Rest in peace, Olivia Newton-John. Yes. I got to go back and watch Grease. I mean, her turn is Sandy. Um, I remember hearing that the the pants that she was in, they actually had to sew those onto her because they were so tight. You know, they had to whoever was doing wardrobe had to actually uh, sew them onto her. I, I don't know. That's an urban legend. Maybe it's true. I bet it's true. Let's see, I'm from Eric. Yep, we get asked how to support Jack and Radio. Um, so. I think we've alluded to this, but we are going into a studio space uh, really in a couple weeks in September. So we need all the support we can get to, you know, cover that cost and, you know, other costs and getting furniture and, and doing the build out. Uh, but we're really excited. You know, we just hit 30 patrons on our Patreon and, um, you know, it, it helps us buy equipment. It helps us, you know, keep up with trying to book guests and travel and all this. Uh, so if you do want to support us and you like what we do in our interviews, Patreon.com slash Jackman Radio is a great way to support us. And we're also on Venmo uh, at Senator Jackman86. If you want to support us that way, it goes directly to us. And we are also on Substack. I've been writing a lot more articles for Substack because I've always enjoyed writing. And I, I wrote a lot more in college. Like I wrote a little bit for my college's newspaper and, um, you know, did some like news stories and political stuff and current events. So on our Substack, which is um, right here, ericjackman.substack.com, um, you'll see, you know, articles on concert reviews, movie reviews, um, you know, pop culture stuff, but really a lot of political stuff. Uh, I think I've got a recent article that I put up, um, a review. I went and saw Brian Wilson and Al Jardine from the Beach Boys. Um, just about a month ago. So I did a review of that. And then I recently put up an article about um, the 78,000 IRS agents that they're hiring. 
78,000. So, you know, inflation's great. Gas is great. You know, bills and rent and groceries, that's all great. I think we need another 78,000. Let's do 100,000. Let's call it 100,000. So I wrote about the IRS doing that as well as uh, signature reduction, which I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but Newsweek did a hell of an expose on signature reduction about a year ago. I think it was last May 2021. And that basically talks about, I think that's like 30 or 40,000 agents that they've built up over the last decade that support people's um, fake identities and undercover work. And, you know, yeah, it's stuff that's going on in other countries so we can see, you know, spy on people all over the world, you know, Asia, Africa, you know, obviously Middle Eastern countries, but uh, they do a lot here, you know, stateside domestically in America. So I thought that was, uh, that was very interesting. Eric just put the 87,000 new IRS. Okay. Was I a little low? <laughs> the Mornon, aka the Mormon. Hey, great to see you, gents. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Great to see you here. Thumbs up, IB Denmark. Absolutely. General Meow Meow says, militarize the DC police, now the IRS. Next, they'll militarize the YMCA. <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, YMCA, you know. They'll come at you. You can get a good meal. You can get arrested and fingerprinted, you know. Yeah, what is it going to be next exactly? What are they going to militarize next? Yeah. So another thing that I wanted to talk about was the new Predator movie, Prey. Uh, man, I, I was expecting it to be pretty good. Like, I went into it kind of optimistic, but it definitely shattered my expectations. And uh, in my opinion, it's the best sequel since uh, Predator 2 with Danny Glover, which came out in 1990. That takes place in, a, in kind of a not-too-distant, uh, dystopic L.A. And uh, speaking of summer heat, you watch Predator 2, man, you can just feel the heat emanating off the screen. Like, everybody's sweating. Everybody's agitated. It's just, since the first Predator, it was, it's arguably the best. But uh, Prey, which just came out last week on Hulu, the streaming service, uh, I thought was fantastic. I mean, they, they totally did a different approach. Um, you know, they took it back to, I don't know, 17, I don't know what year it was, 1720, somewhere around there. And they had, they followed a Comanche tribe and the character of Nauru, um, you know, she's a young member of the tribe who's trying to prove herself and she doesn't just want to you know do the traditional roles that women do in the tribe and of course we're all wondering oh is it going to be full woke I, I don't think it was i think it was a great balance of talking about the important issues with respect you know to men and women and what expectations are and, and what uh, traditional roles are um but uh you know you cared about the characters i mean it was a lean movie it was probably probably like an hour 40, maybe hour 40, uh, you know, just over 90 minutes, 90 minutes, hundred minutes, whatever that is. And they really went right into the action. And, um, you know, you, you cared about the characters uh, and it's just really cool seeing the lo-fi weaponry of, of, you know, the, the lead character and the Comanche tribe and what they have at their disposal, you know, and how they trap food and, and, uh, you know, basically live out on the frontier and, and take care of everything with uh, the tools that they have. And then you got the predator, 
You know, you got the predator coming down, coming down in his spaceship, being dropped off, being ready for the first hunt and uh, not giving too much away. But I mean, the main character, she really, you know, goes through each scene trying to figure out and discover what this this thing is that's hunting her and hunting her tribe and learning about it. So, um, yeah, it was really cool. Really well done. One of the only complaints I probably have about it is some of the CGI was a little cheesy, like some of the some of the animals that they had like a CGI bear. Um, it was, uh, that was a little dodgy, but, uh, the, the predator effects, you know, I thought were great. There was some, some new takes on some of the old classics, uh, in the predators arsenal. There were some callbacks. There were some callback lines, which were really cool for fans of the series, especially the first one. And there was a huge connection from this one to predator two, which I won't give away, but if obviously if you're a fan of the series and you like Predator 2 as much as I do, you'll see what I'm talking about. So that was really cool. And I definitely think it's open for sequels. Um, they left it pretty pretty open-ended enough where they could probably go in, a, in a, you know, this keep on this direction. But yeah, I really liked what they did with it. Um, other than the second one, Predator 2, I enjoyed Predators from 2010 with uh, Adrian Brody and Lawrence Fishburne. Um, that takes place on like a, one of the predators, I think on their planet. So they, they kind of, they're out in the, it's like a jungle, kind of a wooded planet. But um, the most recent one, the predator from 2018, I, I didn't like that at all. I didn't think that that was that good. Comment here from general meow meow. I feel like they shot themselves in the foot and claiming it's the first hunt. There are so many good timelines, timelines to make a story about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you could call it, I guess you could call it a prequel because it does take place before everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could go, even if it is, it takes place in that century, you could still tell many stories um, after that, or you could go more sci-fi and take it up into space. I don't know, though. I feel like in a lot of like sci-fi and horror um, movies, they jump the shark when they go to space, right? You had a... Uh, what was it? Critters, Critters Four takes place in space. Hellraiser Four Bloodline is in, is in space, um, which I liked. I actually enjoyed Bloodline. Came out in '96, and it was the last theat theatrical release for the Hellraiser series. And I think it's an underrated, kind of unfairly maligned entry into the series. I think Leprechaun Four is in space too. I'd, I'd have to check, but uh, certainly uh, Jason X, uh, Jason Ten goes to space not a great movie one of the coolest kills though where he he, he dunked the victim's face into the uh i don't know if, what, what it was nitrogen or whatever froze it and then smashed it i mean that was a really cool kill if you get a chance to see that and david cronenberg makes an appearance in that movie which was pretty cool as well general meow meow says i've heard it's a good movie predator and predator 2 are still my favorites absolutely yeah i would say the original Predator, you're, you're not ever going to beat that. Um, Prey definitely captured a lot of that spirit, though. And every sequel they've made, you know, since the first one, they've always tried to bring Arnold back, and it's never worked out because he didn't like the story. Or I guess with the 2018 one, Predators, they didn't want to give him a big role. They wanted them to have some glorified cameos Dutch. In my opinion, you're going to bring Arnold back, man. You, you got to do it right, and you got to do it big. You got to bring me back. Then you got to have me chewing on the cigars. You got to have me buffing the predator's head in the woods. You, you got to bring him back fully. So, 
at this point, I don't know if that's going to happen. Arnold just turned 75, I think. So I certainly think he still has some films in the hopper, but being able to do a full two hour predator movie, I'm not so sure. Hey, he made all those Terminator sequels, and most of those were pretty goddamn awful. <laughs> you know, Genesis was uh, Genesis was not really that good. And then the one that they released, um, what was it, in 2019, Dark Fate? Not a huge fan of that one. I don't know. It was, it was okay. Again, Terminator and then Terminator 2, Judgment Day. I think the argument could be made that Terminator 2, Judgment Day was even better than the original in a lot of respects. They certainly upped the action and up the effects and the budget. And that was the one that I grew up on. I think that came out in like 1991. So I was like, I was like five, five or six when that came out. I remember begging my parents to see it. And uh, I think when my mom went away for a weekend, my dad let me watch it. So that one in total recall. We love Arnold, even though, you know, the Nazi, there's a Nazi connection. The Nazis at his wedding, his dad did the Nazi thing, you know, it's just delicious. It's a good guy. Tommy Craney, how you doing, Tommy? Olivia Newton-John was my first real crush. Yeah, I mean, I always had a crush on her, too. I mean, she, she was, apart from being incredibly talented and an amazing singer and personality and by all, all accounts a great person, she was just devastatingly beautiful. I mean, yeah, she was like, it's like ridiculous how hot she was, if I'm being honest. <laughs> she was an early crush, too, and Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, especially in... Uh, Return of the Jedi. Definitely like that one. I'd be Denmark. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. General Meow Meow says, I just want Predators of the Caribbean, then I can die. <laughs> Imagine that if you have Johnny Depp fighting the uh, Predator. Well, he already did that. It was the Amber Heard trial. But um, yeah, you have Arnold. You got Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, you, you're kind of wondering, you know, is that where the Predator got the dreads from, from Captain Jack Sparrow? It was Keith Richards part of the original. I mean, there's so many, so many directions you could go in with that. I don't remember if Cameron directed Terminator, but Terminator 2 was his usual formula of ramping everything up like he did for Aliens. Um, James Cameron did direct Terminator 2, um, and the more recent one, Dark Fate, he didn't direct it, but he produced it. So he... So him, Schwarzenegger, and Linda Hamilton officially came back for the more recent one, uh, as did Edward Furlong, but it still didn't – it just wasn't that great. It was, it was better probably than Part 3, Rise of the Machines, in my opinion, but it didn't – I don't know, the first two. As far as Terminator Man, 1 and 2, and then I thought it was interesting what they did with Salvation, but Arnold's not really – I think he was governor when they made that one, so he's not really in that, although they, they do kind of – they, they uh, do a face-off scenario where they take his face, like CGI, and put it on like a bodybuilder. And they had that, you know, bodybuilder type uh, stunt person and have that, the naked version of that fight, Christian Bale, which was, uh, I guess that was kind of interesting. But yeah, Alien and Aliens. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, some people think Aliens uh, was better than the original. I think those were both done by Ridley Scott. I'm pretty sure he directed both of those. Or no, James Cameron may have done Aliens. I'll have to double check. But I think Ridley Scott was definitely involved in the second one. But you really see Ripley kind of come into her own and be the ultimate badass. And Bill Paxton, I mean, that had a stacked cast, too. They got that actress who was John Connor's stepmom from Terminator 2 is in Aliens. Lance Henriksen. And I think Lance Henriksen and Bill Paxton 
are the only two actors to be killed by an alien, a predator, and a terminator. I'm pretty sure. Because Lance Hendrickson was in the first Terminator and he's killed uh, by, you know, the Terminator in the police station. And Bill Paxton played it like a, a punk in the first Terminator and he's killed by the Terminator. And then they were both in Aliens. Lance Hendrickson was, he was like an android. So I, I guess he comes back. But I mean, technically he got killed by, by the uh, alien. And uh, Bill Paxton was killed in Aliens. And then Alien versus Predator, Lance Hendrickson is in that. And he's killed uh, by the Predator. And then, of course, Bill Paxton was killed by the Predator in Subway and Predator 2. So I'm pretty sure pretty sure that's right. You guys can fa fact check me on that. Maybe they'll put it up as medical disinfo. He was an android. He didn't get killed. Scott did Alien. Cameron's Cameron did Aliens. Yeah, I thought so. General Meow Meow says, the studio had to reel Scott in because he wanted Alien to end with Ripley getting her head ripped off and then speak into the microphone to corporate. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty interesting. You know, and then Michael Bean, of course, was in Aliens, and he was in uh, uh, the original Terminator. He played, I think he was Kyle Reese in the first Terminator, a very underrated actor. I actually met him in Providence, Rhode Island, a few years ago at a convention. Really friendly guy. Um, chatted with me quite a bit, and I think I got a signed photo of him from the original Terminator. I'd have to dig that up. But, um, yeah, that would have been interesting. I know they were talking about having Sigourney Weaver come back recently for an Alien sequel, I think, in the Prometheus timeline or universe, because it's in the same universe, the whole Prometheus and the recent Alien sequels, but they haven't been able to work it out, and they were going to bring her back, as well as Newt from Aliens, you know, the little girl, and then I think Michael Bean's character of Hicks survived, and they were going to bring him back. So, that would have been cool to see that. Hey, they brought Sigourney back for the new Ghostbusters for a little post-credit action, and that's teasing the uh, um Next one that they're actually making right now that's going to come out at the end of 2023. Um, so we'll see. I, I like the new Ghostbusters for what it was. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was decent. You know, I didn't hate it. Titus, comment from Titus. How you doing, Titus? Good to see you. Ridley Scott did Alien. Yeah. And his brother Tony Scott did the original Top Gun, I think, and sadly committed suicide a few years back. All right, General Meow Meow says, so I'm going to nerd out again. The original script of Alien was called Star Beast. It was made into a graphic novel by Dark Horse, and it's pretty good. Hmm. Thanks for that tidbit of information. I did not know that. So, But uh, Prey has the full Jackman Radio endorsement, and if you got Hulu, I highly recommend watching it. Um, you know, so many sequels nowadays just are not that great, and especially, you know, longtime fans have nitpicked them and Certainly, I'm a huge fan of the Scream series, and I, I do want to do... There's a lot of great Scream YouTube content creators that I follow and watch and would like to do a uh, like a Scream-centric podcast, but the recent news on that is they're making Scream 6, and Nev Campbell is not coming back because basically Spyglass Production Company didn't want to pay her what she was asking for, and I know actors make a, a ridiculous amount of money, but other than the Ghostface 
you know, character. She's the icon and heart and soul of the whole Scream series. She, you know, she played Sidney Prescott in all five of them. And I mean, all the hundreds of millions of dollars that series has made. I think you can, Nev Campbell is, is, a, is a major part of that, if not the biggest part of that. Obviously, Wes Craven, who directed the original and the sequels up until the fourth installment, just before he died, um, you know, Wes Craven was a huge part of that. But I think if, if you don't have, you know, if you don't have uh, Nev Campbell as Sidney Prescott, I, it's not, I don't know, it's not as good. So she's not coming back for the sixth one, but they got Courtney Cox. And uh, I'll go see it, you know. I'm a big movie guy, big horror movie guy. So they're going to get 10 bucks out of me. <laughs> General Meow Meow says, lots of sequels, prequels, requels don't pay much, if any respect to the originals. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I'd have to agree with that sentiment. And today, uh, I think Tobin Bell, who played Jigsaw in the Saw movies, just turned 80. And I love that, you know, Tobin Bell was a character actor for many years through the you know late 80s and through the into the 90s. And he had a small part in Goodfellas. Um, I think he was in Pelican Brief or one of those other legal thrillers from the 90s. And uh, no, it wasn't really a household name until he did Saw in 2004 as Jigsaw. And, uh, you know, I remember seeing that in the theaters as a senior in high school and just at the end of it, just like being totally blown away by the twist. But, uh, yeah, that new one that Chris Rock did was uh, its not good. I think that's why Will Smith slapped him, honestly. He's like, keep Jigsaw's name out your goddamn mouth. I think that's probably why he hit him. And if that's the case, it was... It was justified. But other news going on. Uh, another sequel that happened was the uh, Revenge of the Sith, a.k.a. the FBI at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, a lot of you wanted my take on the so-called raid at Mar-a-Lago. Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, Trump's legal team or his people had to have known that something like that was coming because they've been the lawyers have been talking obviously with, with the prosecution and the government for months about documents and classified material. But I think more than anything, it's just a political, it's just a political thing. It's uh, you know, the, the whole thing about cl what's classified or not classified. Well, as president, Trump got to decide ultimately what was classified and not classified. And one thing I was hoping he was going to do was release all the JFK files, which he released some of them in 2017 when the 25th anniversary of the law from the JFK Act in 92 expired. Uh, legally, they all should have been released, but that didn't happen. And Biden has released some, and now they're talking about uh, releasing more of those files. But I think they're just going to keep punting that. And, um, you know, then, of course, Trump in New York City had to go and sit uh, for legal proceedings, and he invoked the 5th, okay? I invoked the 5th, the 6th, the 7th, and the 20th, and the 40th. I'll invoke them all if I have to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want to incriminate yourself even. Let's say, you know, what you're being charged with, you're innocent of, but you say something or you slip up or you say something you think is true, but it's not true. And then it can come back and legally bite you in the ass. So, yeah, I mean, I can understand, you know, why the king pled the fifth. <laughs> I mean, he's he's been involved in, I think, three or four thousand different lawsuits and, and cases through the years. And he normally likes sparring, you know, with, with the lawyers. So that is an interesting angle and aspect of it, but, you know, they went into his safe. So what was in the safe? You know, did Merrick Garland, did he know what's in the safe? Did, uh, did Ray know what was in the safe? 
And yeah, it's interesting. The FBI director who signed off on it was uh, appointed by the king back, I think, in 2017. And the uh, lawyer, well, he used to be a lawyer, but he's a judge, um, Bruce Reinhardt. I thought this was interesting. So this is Newsweek reporting. The judge who signed off on an FBI search of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence previously represented some employees of Jeffrey Epstein and has made donations to candidates from both political parties. So I think he gave, you know, whatever the max was, you know, thousands of dollars to Barack Obama and to Jeb, exclamation point. So <laughs> this Reinhardt guy, you know, was part of the sweetheart deal back in 2008 in Florida with Epstein, later becomes a judge and then is doing this thing to, you know, kind of poke the king. So it really feels like a lot of reindeer games. It feels like the, you know, the, the power structure, you know, in my opinion, a lot of this competing mafias, okay? You've got, you got these, you know, you can break it down like this. You got these different mafias and sometimes for their ends, they work together and they align them. So it's like house, it's like a um, game of Thrones, so sometimes the uh, the houses align when it meets their ends and they collaborate to, you know, screw with someone else. And then sometimes they're at war and they battle each other. And, uh, you know, right now what's going on with this, um, you know, they're, they're doing what they can to go after Trump right now because he's out of office. And I think they're going to try and do everything they can to make sure that he doesn't run again. They don't want him to run again. They got all the January 6th stuff going on. So... I mean, again, I think it's political and it's some people are suggesting that there is actually something there. They wouldn't have done this raid unless they really felt like there was hot evidence that was at on the premises. So I don't know. It's hard to say 100 percent what exactly is going on. But again, still, we have Ghislaine Maxwell in prison in a nice prison moved, I think, to Connecticut. And we don't have the client list, but we're talking about this. So a couple of chats here. General Meow Meow. What creeped me out about Saw was that my dad liked it, and we never watched a horror movie in the house as a kid. <laughs> yeah, Saw is fun for the whole family, for sure. General Meow Meow says, they get up in arms about what's possibly in a safe, but they knew what was on the server in Hillary's bathroom closet. Well, exactly. I mean, she had 30,000 emails, Meow Meow. 33,000 emails that she had to submit under the investigation. And then she acid washed. She used acid wash on the server. Rudy tells me acid wash is a very expensive procedure. You get a little Windex, you get a little bit of tang, you mix it in there with some Diet Coke, and you acid wash. So, and that's the thing too. Like the the, the bigger point I wanted to make about the raid and the FBI um, is that there's a lot of people celebrating it because they hate Trump so much. They have you know really severe TDS and anything that they can, any leg up on Trump they can get, they think it's good. Um, and then you have people who are, uh, you know, of course, pro-Trump who think it's just a political witch hunt and, um, you know, think that the, what happened to Hillary was, although actually nothing happened to Hillary. Remember when they said that she, you know, broke the law, but she didn't intend to break the law. She didn't knowingly do it. Um, so she got off. I mean, it didn't help, it didn't help her campaign the final days of the 2016 campaign when, uh, excuse me, when Comey came out you know, announcing about that. But I remember the day that that happened, Eric was actually at a Trump rally dressed as Trump in New Hampshire. We just got off the wire that they're reopening the investigation in the crooked emails. So I think it's left, you know, it's left, right. It's blue, red battling each other. 
But the larger picture is, is the power of the, an institution like the FBI and how much power these alphabet agencies have. You know, like anyone cheering the FBI raiding a former president, I, 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 I don't cheer that. I mean, the FBI can raid anybody. They can, they can plant evidence. They can make anybody look guilty. They can, you know, tip off the media to something. I mean, so it's not overall, I don't think it's something that like other American citizens should really be like having a fiesta over. You know, the FBI is the same institution that had a, you know, a very repressed uh, cross-dressing psychopath known as J. Edgar Hoover fucking with all kinds of people with regular Americans. And, you know, no offense to cross-dressing people. He gives cross-dressing people a bad name, in my opinion. Buffalo Bill is a better representation of, of that. But, uh, you know, the FBI also told Martin Luther King to commit suicide. That, that, that was either uh, J. Edgar himself coming from his office or from Clyde Tolson. And that was in the 60s. So, I mean, these are major, major goals. I mean, they, they set up these operations. They get, a, you know, a lot of useful idiots like the, the Whitmer plot, look into the Gretchen Whitmer thing, the, the, you know, the kidnapping plot. Um, you know, look into 1996 when Maria Farmer went to the FBI and told them what was going on with Epstein. What do they do? So, so everyone cheerleading the FBI, just look at a couple of those examples. I mean, I could go on, you could go on, right? That's kind of my, my bigger point about that. John B., Sloop John B., good to see you, man. Is it possible the FBI is looking for Ghislaine Maxwell's black book? Just hit me. This hasn't been found. Um, I think there were, well, there's a couple of black books that had addresses and contacts and phone numbers. And uh, Nick Bryant, actually, when he was investigating the Epstein case uh, down in Florida, was able to procure one of the black books. And... Uh, the only publication that would release it was like Gawker. And I think this was back in, uh, I don't know, 2013 or 2014. And, um, you know, being in the black book doesn't mean that you're guilty or that you were participating or involved in what they were doing with the trafficking. Um, you know, as Maria Farmer explained to us, they tried to, Epstein and Ghislaine tried to go after RFK Jr. and get, you know, him involved. I mean, they wanted to go after anybody who was famous or had connections or power or money or influence. You know, there's a photo of Ghislaine Maxwell with Kyle MacLachlan, the actor. Uh, there's a photo of her with Mick Jagger, Elon Musk. So, you know, being in a photo with those people or being in the black book doesn't necessarily mean that you're part of it. But there were a lot of names that were also circled in the Nick Bryant black book that was released. And, you know, names like Bill Richardson, Bill Clinton. Um, he had a lot of contacts for Trump. So, you know, uh, certainly... Uh, who was Ehud Barak, the former prime minister of Israel, who was coming and going from, uh, you know, the apartment that housed all the models that was run by Epstein's brother in New York. So, you know, there's a couple of black books that are out there. And it was, I think it was, um, it was a news organization in the last year, ran a very interesting piece about one of them, that this guy in New York City actually found it on the street and um, sold it on eBay, and a collector in Vermont purchased it. I think it was uh, IBN News, or uh, what the hell is the name of that news organization? It escapes me off the top of my head, but um, certainly the contacts are out there. And, you know, the F speaking of the FBI, as far as I know, they never raided Zorro Ranch, which was Epstein's property in New Mexico, uh, which is where the Clintons would, would primarily stay. Um, I mean, they had a whole like Western kind of town mock-up. They had like a saloon vibe, like a Western saloon and like private bungalows. And 
there's there's some interesting articles out there that show those photographs and show what that what was going on at that place. But you don't hear so much about Zorro Ranch. So who knows, man? Maybe the king, maybe the king safe had has something on that. But again, you know, Epstein died three years ago this week, and uh, the FBI raids his New York mansion. They find diamonds, passports, uh, you know, CD-ROMs, all tapes, all that stuff. Where's all that stuff? Where's all the where, where's all the compromising material and all the, um, you know, video footage and pictures that they had of people on the island or in his uh, um, New York residence or in England or France or Florida? I mean, there's there's so much that they haven't released, but you know, as is always the case. The media will focus on a couple of aspects of the story to kind of get people distracted and, and talking about it in a very narrow kind of way, uh, whereas the big picture stuff is is kind of glossed over and, you know, kind of back nine or put buried in page seven or something like that. And you end up not seeing it and it gets memory hold. General Meow Meow, let me take a sip of water. <clears throat> They wasted tax dollars to ship DC FBI to Florida. Wonder why FBI, why Florida FBI or state agents couldn't handle it. DC FBI is most likely the most crooked. Yeah, probably. And again, about the warring factions. I mean, you know, DeSantis. You know, DeSantis probably wasn't tipped off. I mean, he's still at this point aligned with the king. I mean, he's. He has his eyes set on 24, just like Trump does. So they're going to have to either battle that out or make some kind of deal. Um, but DeSantis certainly came to Trump's defense after this, as did, um, you know, several members of Congress that are still very loyal to Trump and uh, other people in, in the, you know, the MAGA universe. But, uh, yeah, they're going to send the, the big dogs from D.C. and it's going to kind of be, quote unquote, unannounced. So it was interesting to see that. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of. Uh, pro-Trump people outside Mar-a-Lago with signs who were, you know, calling BS on it. And I think ultimately it's probably going to be much ado about nothing. You're probably not going to see, you know, much come of it. I don't know. They're saying, oh, Nixon's a choir boy compared to Trump, you know. I am not a crook. General Meow Meow. Jesus, three years already. Time flies when you're being oppressed. <laughs> yeah, three years since Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Fire Pixie. Fire. You're, you're always on fire. We love you, Fire Pixie. And we're glad to see you here. Yeah, so so that's Ryan. I got a little more information here on Bruce Reinhardt I wanted to read. Sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent. Um, so Reinhardt served as a federal prosecutor before going on to act as defense counsel for some employees of Epstein. And as far as I know, those employees included one or two of the pilots um, for Epstein's private jet, and I think Nadia Marcinkova and uh, Sarah Kellen, who were, I think, both sex slaves and then brought into the fold with Ghislaine to recruit other girls. So it's just so, it's horrible and sordid because he would get these girls when they were minors and bring them into the fold and then kind of have them bring in other girls. So it's like victimizing them all over again, which... Uh, Reinhardt also spent more than 11 years as an assistant U.S. attorney, but ceased to be a federal prosecutor on January 1st, 2008, 
The next day, Reinhardt began working as a defense attorney for certain Epstein employees. There you go. I wonder if he's uh, I wonder if he's close with Alan Dershowitz. Alan, I kept my pants on Harvard Dershowitz. Yep, so these employees included pilots and a scheduler named Sarah Kalin and a, wo uh, a woman some of Epstein's victims said what is his sex slave, according to a 2018 report in the Miami Herald. And the Miami Herald has done some great work on this case, you know, Julie K. Brown, and they, you know, but I mean, there's a ton of people who have kept this in, in the spotlight. And it's like Epstein's like the gift that keeps on giving even three years in the grave. It's, it's like amazing. It's crazy. Uh, the newspaper also reported in 2011 that Reinhardt was named in a lawsuit and was accused of violating Justice Department policy by representing the Epstein employees. He denied any wrongdoing and said he didn't participate in the criminal case against Epstein or learn any confidential information while working as a federal prosecutor. Reinhardt also previously donated to Democratic and Republican campaigns. In 2008, he gave Obama $1,000 and a further thousand to the Victory Fund. And in 2016, he gave um, low energy Jeb Bush $500. So, you know, two enemies, two of my enemies. Reinhardt gave him money, and now he's going into my safe. I mean, just, just disgusting stuff. Just disgusting. So it looks like the FBI removed dozens of boxes from Mar-a-Lago. Um, and I think, you know, some of that is like we were talking about before, um, supposedly classified material that is, you know, sensitive and shouldn't be out of the White House. You know, but they could say it was just for that reason. It could have been could have been another reason. So Trump said on uh, Truth Social, what took place yesterday and long before was an unprecedented infringement of the rights of every American citizen. Scam after scam, year after year, it's all the radical left Democrats really know, and it's their lifeblood, and they have no shame. Our country's paying a very big price. I mean, yeah, the King's, the king's right about a lot of that stuff that he posted on uh, Truth Social about what precedent this sets and... Um, you know, what it looks like for other Americans. I mean, if they can do this to a former president who's potentially looking to be president again, what can they do to any American or anyone in political office that they don't like or they perceive as an enemy? And, you know, there's a lot of things Trump did that were very, uh, very middle of the road and very much like any other president. But he also kind of didn't said things that were, were completely outrageous and off the reservation. And they hate him for that. They definitely hate him for that. I mean, he's, he's the... He's the member of their uh, class that gets to go to the class reunions and they got to sit there and listen to him, you know, at the table because he, in some cases he has more money than they do. But they they view themselves as more prestigious and more blue blood and more entitled to their class. The king comes in there. He's a hot dog. He's got a couple of porn stars on his arm. I mean, he's having a freak having the time of his life. Too. He's got his, uh, you know, WWF Intercontinental Championship wrestling belt like and he just lets out a big fart, you know. So. And that's how he viewed, and I like that he that he openly mocks these politicians and has disdain for them. You know, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of the Trump performance in 2016. But uh, you know, at this point going forward, he might have uh, there might be too much stink on him, man, for them to to want to for the party to want to run him again. But I I still think a lot of people, a lot of the people, the American the American people support Trump. And I mean, just look at the rallies, the Save America rallies that he's doing. 
whether the media covers it or not, they uh, thousands of people are still showing up to see the king work out his new hour. So I think he's still potent. I mean, twice impeached, survived Russiagate, beat Crooked Hillary, survived the China Wuhan. So I mean, I think write the king off at your own peril is kind of what I'm what I'm saying here. I be Denmark. Hashtag we are Ryan Dawson. Yes, Ryan Dawson, Skyping in from a foxhole in the Gaza Strip. We love Ryan. We'll be doing some. Uh, we'll be collaborating again with Ryan soon. I think there's a Four Horsemen sometime this month. I don't think they've done the August one yet on uh, Reed Coverdale's channel, Naturalist Capitalist. So hopefully they'll be announcing that. Comment from General Meow Meow. Well, they did Ruby Ridge, Waco, and Oklahoma City. I'm pretty sure a raid into anyone is par for the course. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. that's. Uh, I watched a special on Ruby Ridge not that long ago, and, oh, that was just – it's just awful. I mean, they all – yeah, it's all it's all just awful. And they get, they get people, you know, fired up who have a certain ideology, and then they infiltrate that group, and then they try to spur more violence, and then – Something happens or pops off, and then they justify their uh, budget for the next fiscal year. Rinse and repeat, ad nauseum. Fire Pixie. Thanks for being awesome. Uh, thank you, Fire Pixie. We really appreciate your support. And I was just asked by Fire Pixie, push your Venmo. Yes, the best way to support us in our work is our Venmo which is Senator Jackman 86. So any tips are appreciated. And of course, if you want to sign up to become a patron, it's uh, patreon.com slash Jackman radio. And that's going to help us offset the uh, cost of our studio. Um, and just being able to do this more, you know, we love doing it. We have a freaking blast. We love you guys. We want to continue to, uh, you know, build up the audience. Fire Pixie, just a tip. That's, that's what I said to Hillary, just a tip. Somehow Chelsea showed up. I think it's Webb Hubbles. It's not mine, it's Webb Hubbles. And yes, here's our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jackman Radio. I'm going to do it in Alex Jones's voice. Patreon.com slash Jackman Radio. We need as many patrons as we can get, folks. We're being bankrupted by the Sandy Hook thing. It's just awful, but... We have 30 patrons now, and we would love to, I mean, sky's the limit. We'd love to have a 1,000 patrons, but we're we're building it, you know, incrementally and, and doing our thing, and yeah, and uh, kind of to close things, um, obviously, you guys know that I'm very big into music, and I'm a drummer, and I have a band called Northern Stone, and for any of our listeners who are in, you know, Massachusetts or New Hampshire or New England who, who um, are interested in seeing some live music, my band's playing on Friday, August 19th at 8.30 p.m. at the Pasta Loft Restaurant in Milford, New Hampshire. That's going to be a great time. Uh, no cover charge. This is uh, our second time playing there. And uh, we do a lot of great covers, you know, rock and roll from the 60s to today. Uh, we have a couple originals we might throw in there. And you'll see yours truly behind the drums. Um, definitely another uh, another passion of mine. And always love talking music and and uh, playing music in the band. Uh, I'm, I might be a little biased, but my band's very talented. I have a very, very talented uh, singer and guitarist, keyboard player. Everyone's very talented, okay? They're great guys. Come say hi. Come have a pizza. 
We'll have uh, Baron will be there serving drinks. Melania is going to be there sunbathing. It's going to be tremendous. It's going to be a really great time. And it's at the Pasta Loft in Milford, New Hampshire on Friday, August 19th at 8.30 p.m. Yes, General Meow Meow. It's going to be huge. Well, all right, guys, that about does it for all the uh, topics I wanted to hit. I, I really appreciate going back and forth. I love doing these um, these live streams, you know, answering questions and bouncing ideas off each other. You guys are the best, um, you know. Appreciate the support. Make sure you like the channel, subscribe, share it, share our links. Uh, we are on Podbean. We're on Spotify, obviously here on YouTube. And uh, we got some great guests coming up. I'll give you a tease. It looks like we are going to have the host of No Way Jose, Mr. Jose Gallison, coming on Jackman Radio within the next week, week and a half. So that's going to be a fun discussion. He's always a lot of fun. And uh, we will have a lot more updates on the studio, which we will be going in and doing a build-up starting in September with uh, our friend Reed Coverdale of Naturalist Capitalist. So lots of cool things coming down the pipe. Uh, we really appreciate everyone's support, and uh, we will see you soon.